Good afternoon to you and welcome to this edition of A Reason for Hope. As you can see, the uh, studio is a little <laughs> vacant at the moment. Normally <laughs> I'd be over there, but now I'm here. And I'll have to get used to looking at the right camera to make eye contact. Yeah, there but, you go. <laughs> um, the broadcast is going to be the same for all of you who are used to sending in your Bible questions today. We're going to be setting the next hour aside to answer them. If you'd like to send us your questions, you can do so by email at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That is questions, plural, F-O-R, hope, at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to join us live face-to-face, -face, you can join us on our web streaming sites. Uh, we are using YouTube while the venture is still open to us. Uh, YouTube will be a reason for hope, just all set and spelled out. You can type in the URL if you choose, but if you find a reason for hope, you'll see the Elder and I in our trip to Israel where uh, I decidedly gained a little bit of weight, but <laughs> it was an Israeli food, and I stand by that as a positive. Hummus. Said, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of uh, strong bowls of fashion for sure. But that will be available to you at A Reason for Hope. If you'd like to join us on Facebook, uh, it's CCF Tucson or Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you want to join us on Rumble, it is A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. And if it would suit your fancy to circumvent, I guess is the right word I'm looking for, our website, Calvary, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, ChristianFellowship.com. Click on the Watch Live tab at the top of the screen, and you'll be sent to our own little video player where you don't have to deal with all of the ads and other unfortunate shenanigans that social media often throws our way. Note that the standards for the broadcast and the questions that we will be taking the time to answer will be those on the Bible, and if you have questions about that, as long as they are sincere and verified as such, we'll be happy to dedicate any time that we have in the next hour for your questions. We'd appreciate your support and prayer for us. As you know, I'm uh, not exactly used to this environment. It's been a while since I've been sitting in this role, but fortunately, uh, we don't depend on ourselves and our own excellence to see this done. We want to rely on the Holy Spirit, and why not begin the broadcast by asking him to do so? Dad, do you want to start us off? I would love to. Yeah, Father, thank you so much that you love us. And in these uh, crazy days where there's so much uncertainty, it just uh, makes us all the more grateful that we have that firm foundation of your word that will never fail us. Uh, Lord, thank you. Uh, Lord, for what you said in your earthly ministry, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And in, so in this world where there's so much propaganda claim and counterclaim, where uh, the evaluation of uh, arguments is oftentimes uh, judged by the amount of volume in which they're shared, I thank you, Lord, that your word is quiet, it is strong, it is powerful, it is unmovable. And Lord, it can provide us the grace and the strength and the stability, not only to find peace in our own hearts, but to demonstrate that peace to others, hopefully in a way that they'll say, where do you get the strength and stability in these crazy times? And we can point to you, Lord, and hopefully point these people to a saving relationship with you. Lord, uh, thank you that uh, where sin did increase, grace did much more abound. And so we're praying that your amazing grace would abound even through this broadcast here today. Uh, help us to be people that speak your truth, that speak it in love. Help us not to rely upon our own wisdom, our own strength, but to trust in you and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge you and you'll make our path straight. Make uh, this broadcast uh, your direct and, uh, and unswerving 
uh, line of truth for your people joining in today. In Jesus' name, amen. That is true. All right, so starting this off, obviously, for those of you who have been following the news or this broadcast or any combination thereof, it's been quite of a prophecy update heavy, and we don't want to disappoint the routine. Uh, not as much to talk about, certainly, as there were on Monday and Tuesday, but information is still flowing. Dad, do you want to keep us up to date on whatever else is going on? Yeah, uh, as uh, many of you know, there were a lot of people that were very, very concerned about what could potentially happen today. It was uh, deemed by the Hamas terrorist organization as the day of the Al-Aqsa flood. Uh, they called upon uh, faithful Muslims all over the world to do heroic deeds to stand with Hamas uh, in their uh, terrorist attack uh, against Israel. And so there was a lot of uh, watching uh, as, and waiting as far as what was going on. There were some who said that it would be better for us to uh, almost uh, do a pandemic sort of a response, just to shelter in place, to use that term. Uh, in uh, instead of uh, going about our regular day-to-day -day lives just for the threat uh, of uh, a possible terrorist act or maybe even a major terrorist act. Well, what we're seeing, at least to this point, and the day is not over yet, but what we're seeing are massive demonstrations, massive pro-Palestinian demonstrations in major cities taking place. And uh, the, uh, the, the rhetoric that is associated with it is uh, predictably reprehensible. Uh, we are hearing, again, the slogan of uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is shorthand for the idea of wiping out every Jew from uh, Israel and uh, from the Middle East. Uh, we also are hearing uh, some at these rallies, uh, among other vulgarities, talking about gassing Jews again, that that is a great idea, which uh, sort of makes me wonder why we would call an organization Adifa, which is short for anti-fascist, if in fact uh, these organizations are propping up and supporting those who are embodying the essence of fascism, at least Hitler's fascism, uh, trying to blame the Jews for all the problems of society and calling for their extermination. So we're certainly seeing these kind of demonstrations. One um, that uh, was particularly noteworthy was a view of Times Square in New York, which has been taken over by a Palestinian rally. Just before airtime, there was a report that the mob assembled there was going to be making its way towards the Jewish embassy, which is not far away in New York City. So uh, we don't know what's going to happen there, uh, whether it's going to be a standoff, how the police are going to respond. But uh, this is pretty much what we're seeing as far as this day of rage uh, is, uh, as they call it, is, is concerned. We haven't seen really any terrorist acts uh, beyond uh, pretty much the background terrorist acts we see. Apparently there was a French school teacher who was stabbed to death by an Islamist in, in, in Paris uh, today. Uh, there have been a couple of other incidents that have happened, but nothing really beyond the pale aside from these large demonstrations. You know, as we mentioned uh, earlier, you know, one of the most interesting things to me is that now the battle seems to be, as it always is, a battle for hearts and minds. And if you've uh, been with us on A Reason for Hope since our inception on 9-11, we've covered an awful lot of these uh, skirmishes, these wars and sometimes all-out wars, uh, limited wars by any stretch of the imagination, between Israel and their terrorist enemies. And uh, the, the way that these things generally go 
is that there is a uh, unprovoked attack on Israeli citizens that takes place. There is loss of life. Israel will then respond to these attacks, and then the real battle takes place. The perpetrators of the attacks, the initiators of the uh, atrocities, then position themselves with the willing help of major media as the victims in this place, because obviously Israel is a very well-armed and uh, well-organized uh, nation-state. These are individuals that are just, uh, well, uh, the followers of uh, heroic uh, Islamic groups and uh, just trying to uh, practice their religion and, and trying to stand up against uh, what is oftentimes portrayed as uh, an oppressive Israel, an apartheid Israel. Uh, again, that word was peppered through uh, the uh, words of uh, some uh, members of Congress today in referring to Israel. We've talked a bit about how uh, that is such a uh, uh, red uh, herring kind of a word uh, in terms of generating and ginning up opposition to equate Israel with an apartheid state, an apartheid state where a minority controls and the majority are denied any kind of rights, simply doesn't describe Israel in any way, shape, or form. Uh, one, all one needs to do is take a look at the Knesset and realize that there are Arab-dominated parties with full representation in the Knesset. Uh, there are and Arab... police force and their military and any other civil form of office and even situations where Arab employees are paid at a higher rate in Israel. Yet regardless, the rhetoric still stands. Why? Because in this day and age, just accusing someone of being racist is enough to shut down the conversation. And, and, and the Trump card of racism, obviously, is using the A word, apartheid. Yeah. You know, that is official racism. Well, it doesn't fit. Uh, but uh, we're seeing it from Congress. We're also seeing it on uh, major media. The alphabet networks don't seem to have... A, uh, a whole lot of uh, reticence about uh, using the term uh, uh, apartheid for Israel, but also using the term fighters yeah. rather than terrorists to describe Hamas. On MSNBC, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, uh, called MSNBC out for using this term. He said, I'll be honest, I'm angry with a world that allows the dehumanization of Israelis and sanitize the terrorism of Hamas. I must say, I love this show and I love this network, but I've got to ask who's writing the scripts. Uh, it was a takedown of MSNBC as anchor Jonathan Lemire sat in stunned silence. Greenblatt Blatt added, guys, get the story right. And all these pictures of missiles or the rubble in Gaza, please talk to the Israeli mothers and fathers who lost their children. Talk to the children whose grandparents were seized as hostages. And please stop calling this a retaliation. This is a defensive measure against an organization that is committed to one thing, killing Jews. But that seems to be getting lost in the shuffle. Uh, I thought it was fascinating, and this is really kind of the prophecy update angle of all of this, that uh, even some of the most pressing evidence of the uh, atrocities that have gone on at the hands of Hamas. Uh, there have been those who have said, well, this is Israel's 9-11, but really it's not, uh, because when we talk about the fact that uh, well over 1,300 Israelis have been killed, proportionately, 
talking about the amount of people that were lost at 9-11, not to minimize that horrific event, but uh, roughly a little under 3,000 people lost their lives that day. Compared to the percentage of the population of the United States. And uh, when you talk about that in uh, comparison to a country of 300 million versus a, a nation like Israel, Losing that amount of people is far more Ten times. Uh, than, than just uh, a 9-11. And I think it's been accurately said that what we're dealing with here is not a likeness to a terrorist act like 9-11. What we're dealing with here is very much similar to the Holocaust of the Jews in World War II. So, not just because of the loss of life, but the international celebration of it, which is really the issue here. Yeah, and, uh, you know, once again, we have seen, at least at the beginning, a rallying behind Israel. We saw, for instance, the Eiffel Tower itself lit up in the uh, colors of the Israeli flag. But we're starting to see that tide change. Uh, for instance, uh, there was a uh, movement afoot to have Wembley Stadium in London lit up in Israeli colors. That has been... Uh, summarily dismissed now as being too provocative. Why? Because of the demonstrations going on from the vast amount of Islamists that came into uh, Great Britain as uh, quote-unquote refugees as a result of uh, the uh, the wars that have been going on in the Middle East. So, uh, you know, what, uh, what we're dealing with here and uh, our good uh, friend uh, Joel Rosenberg uh, does a great job of, uh, of uh, nailing this down, is now we're talking about a media war. Uh, Joel wrote this on All Israel News today. He said, in the first few days after Hamas began their barbaric and genocidal attacks against Israel, the American and international media mostly did a good job of reporting on the atrocities committed by Hamas. Uh, they reported that dozens of Israeli babies had been murdered and that some of them had been decapitated and that hundreds of Israeli youths were gunned down at a music festival, that other Israelis were set on fire and burned alive in their homes and in their cars, and that Israeli girls and children were raped. Uh, more than 100 Israelis were kidnapped and taken to Gaza where God only knows their fate. Uh, then he saw... Uh, a shift taking place. Uh, they were going from sympathy to the attack mode. Uh, one of uh, the Israeli officials, a senior advisor to Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, warned uh, Joel Rosenberg that the media would soon begin to attack Israel, and so it has been. Uh, Mark Regev, who served as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's spokesman and media advisor, uh, said this, on the day of the provocation, the day of the provocation with Hamas doing what it did and exposing itself for what it is, a brutal extreme terrorist organization that butchers innocent civilians. So today and tomorrow there's understanding and sympathy for Israel and the media. And he said, watch as the narrative changes. As Israel starts to strike back, <clears throat> the first shocking days are sometimes forgotten by the international media. Then they focus on the Israeli response and they forget what led to this response and make this false analogy. They say Israel and Hamas are fighting. You know, there's rights and wrongs on both sides of the argument. They plead moral equivalency, if you will. Well, Regev rightly insisted there is no moral equivalency. Israel is a democracy fighting to protect our people, Regev said. They are a brutal terrorist organization that has no qualms about committing crimes against humanity, <coughs> about attacking and killing innocent people. That should never be forgotten. 
Uh, Regev specifically called on Christians in the United States and around the world to stand for Israel, to speak up for Israel, telling the truth what's really happening and counting the onslaught of slander and lies that will inevitably come. So, you know, that's one of the reasons we do what we do here. We want to present you the unvarnished truth as far as what is coming out of Israel. And another very interesting thing, and this, is, this ties into the, the purpose of our program, which is to give you a perspective based uh, upon a solid biblical point of view. Uh, one of the most fascinating things to me has been how, uh, you know, you might call it the fog of war, you might call it the, the battle for hearts and minds, but it's very, very interesting uh, how the notion that you can even really know what is going on truth-wise in a situation like this is now being called into question. Uh, you know, Sean and I were talking before airtime about uh, a charge that was made that some of the direct uh, photographic evidence that uh, babies were decapitated and burned was not really accurate, but it was a product of artificial intelligence. Those wily Jews are using AI to be able to present something that never really happened. And for those who aren't familiar, uh, AI-generated art is a big problem right now in basically more than just the art community because people are generating things that, according to these computer programs, take bits and pieces of stuff that already exists puts them together in its own quote-unquote unique format. Not exactly a silence. You can take good uh, note of the fact some of these are pretty derpy looking, but it is getting better and better, and a lot of artists who do this for a living are concerned because their work's being used against them. Uh, people in writing uh, fields are feeling that this would take away from their jobs because they've become so bland and monotonous, you can't tell the difference. On and on the joke goes. But the accusation that this sort of AI image generated software, um, another example would be the deep fakes where you graft on digitally someone else's face, you say something sounding like them, and it would be used as a statement they made. Literally, defamation, yeah. criminal act. Yeah, uh, well, recreating a sentence using their own words, but uh, switching the words around, it means something completely different. But yeah. that's the concern, is that these images were put into AI detectors, if you will, and then said, oh, this was generated from this, I just typed in this, and this is what was produced exactly. It's fake, and we already pointed out that that was demonstrated as fraudulent, that that has actually been uh, used to examine real-life photographs of people and claim that they were AI. So it's not actually dependable, but as the saying goes, the lie has circled the globe while the truth is still putting its shoes on. So the question is, and this is where we'll tie into our first topic, how do we as Christians, or anyone else for that matter, stay, I guess, with our head above water when we see lies and the ability to share them are becoming more and more sophisticated, or dare I say, harder and harder to test. You know, it's not just so much the fact that, uh, that say, for instance, in the, the case of uh, the proof that uh, infants were mutilated uh, by the barbarians from Hamas, and I use that word advisedly. They did not uh, speak Greek. Uh, but the, 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 the interesting thing is this, is that uh, there's, there's a bigger end game that I think is afoot here, because uh, here we live in the computer age, uh, we have the ability to be able to call up images from around the world, we can watch in real time uh, the uh, battles that are going on in different warfare 
settings. But the uh, interesting thing is this, people are becoming more skeptical uh, about whether they're seeing the real deal. And in a propaganda-oriented battle, like the battle between the Hamas terrorists and the uh, Israelis, I think we're going to see a lot of people kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, who knows what's really going on here? Maybe the, the Jewish people are lying to us as well. And uh, I think it ties into a last day's development that we really need to be aware of as believers in Jesus. Uh, in the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we see uh, some really amazing insights into the rise and uh, the uh, career of uh, an individual gets a lot of um, uh, uh, attention, uh, especially online, the Antichrist. Uh, and uh, the Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, is going to do something very, very interesting. Uh, we are told in verse 9 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, The coming of the lawless one, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, no, notice something. One of the things that it, the Antichrist is going to be successful in doing is getting people to believe the lie. Well, what is the lie? Well, the lie of all lies, the uh, foundation stone of uh, the uh, Wicked Ones campaign in this world, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, it, it's twofold. Has God indeed said a uh, opportunity, a, a initiative to be able to, well, remove truth or even the possibility of knowing truth from the average person. Sure worked well on Eve, it works well today. The other thing is this, once you've removed the standard of God's truth from people, it is very easy to substitute a lie or the lie. You shall not uh, die, you shall be as God. Uh, that was Satan's number one desire in his uh, campaign from the beginning. Uh, according to passages like Isaiah chapter 14, uh, he said, I will be like the Most High. Uh, he made five I will statements. God made one, no, you won't, and that was it. That doesn't mean that Satan is, uh, is setting aside that campaign. He's a master deceiver. And when we start to see the, tr the tools that are at, at his disposal, like AI, and we're just starting to see, uh, like you mentioned, Sean, some of the clumsy some of the unsophisticated uh, attempts to use AI to raise doubts in the minds of people. You know, for as well, did those, those babies get slaughtered uh, by Hamas? Or, or is this just some sophisticated cover-up? You know, suddenly truth becomes more and more obscure. And I believe that, uh, you know, we talk about what's the end game in all of this. You know, Satan is a strategic player. He always has a strategy in mind. And one of the things that we have seen, uh, and it's increasing in, t in intensity uh, in our day and age, is that Satan dearly wants to remove any vestige, any uh, confidence that people have in the idea that truth is really knowable. Because once he does that, once truth is unknowable, then lies can be easily substituted for truth and feelings, rather than fact, can dominate the day. 
And once that happens, once you exalt feelings over faith, uh, faith in the true and living God, well, what happens at that point? Well, kind of like the time of the book of Judges described, uh, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Uh, we are led by our emotions. We're led by to pursue pleasure and to avoid pain, even if pleasure is leading us off the side of a cliff. And so when we see uh, how the Antichrist uh, is going to come to power, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, among all, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, uh, there are going to be uh, incredible signs and wonders done. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24 that false Christs and false prophets would arise and do such wonders if possible to deceive even the elect. In other words, it's not going to be something that is going to be easy to avoid, easy to uh, be exempt from take, being taken under its spell. So how do you do this? How do you avoid being taken in by the strong delusion? Well, you have to receive the love of the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer there right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, praying to his Father, sanctify them, his people, by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, unless we, as believers in Christ, have not only a working understanding of what God's truth is, as contained in the Bible, but love the truth so much that the moment an error comes on the scene, we are immediately aware of it. Uh, we are promised that the Holy Spirit himself would guide us into all truth and uh, that we have an anointing from the Holy One, uh, according to 1 John, that we can discern the difference between truth and error. Uh, if we don't, for instance, first and foremost, spend time in God's words so that we can know it. Secondly, have confidence in God's word, answering uh, the, uh, an incredibly important question to be answered in this day and age. What do I believe about God and why do I believe it? Because if you don't do your own homework on that, what Sean believes on this, what I believe on this, what Calvary Christian Fellowship believes on this, what Calvary Chapel believes on this, isn't gonna do you a single bit of good. Uh, you've gotta do your own homework on that. But even more importantly, daily saying and in our prayers and asking God to lead us into all truth, to cause us to fall more and more in love with his word and become so familiar with it, the minute a lie shows up, it'll stand out like a sore thumb. Uh, you know, one of the, the interesting experiences that I had uh, back when I was transitioning from uh, working in media to going into the ministry is I got an interim job working in operations at Security Pacific Bank in California. I was there when the FBI came in one day and did a seminar on counterfeits. And they showed us some of the counterfeits that were there and, you know, what the latest ones were and, and so on. They showed us the difference between the real bills and the counterfeit bills and how they felt and so on. But one thing the FBI agents said that I'll never forget is that uh, they said the best people they have ever found for spotting counterfeits were bank tellers. Why? Because each and every day for eight hours a day, they would deal with currency. They got to know what it looked like, how it felt, uh, all the characteristics that were involved with it. And they said that uh, more often than not, the best people at spotting counterfeits aren't even well-trained FBI agents. Uh, they were bank tellers because they knew the real deal so well that when even a very clever knockoff of the real deal came along, 
boom, it would stand out to him like a sore thumb. God wants to do the same thing in our knowledge of his word. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, uh, we are going to see things in the Middle East uh, heat up uh, at this point. Uh, people say, well, what's going on right now? At this point, uh, Israel is positioning 300,000 troops uh, to go in and take out all of the terrorist infrastructure in Gaza. Uh, very interesting how uh, about seven days ago, before all of this broke, uh, we now have pictures of Ismail Hyena, who is the head of Hamas, meeting face-to-face -face with the Ayatollah Khomeini in Tehran right before this whole thing broke. Uh, very interesting how our government really doesn't want to mention Iran too much as far as being the one that is pulling the strings. Uh, I really believe that Iran's uh, short-term endgame was this, to destroy any kind of possibility of Israel and Saudi Arabia concluding uh, their normalization process. I think this, this attack by Hamas has done that as Saudi Arabia has pulled the plug on these negotiations. Uh, and I think as far as Iran is concerned at this point, anything else is gravy. Every Israeli soldier that is killed in this Gaza operation to them is a bonus at this particular time. I would be really surprised at this stage of things, especially since the carrier group uh, led by the USS uh, Gerald R. Ford and another carrier group leaving Norfolk, Virginia, uh, supposedly today they said it was delayed. I've heard different things about this. But uh, the second carrier group led by the USS Eisenhower, and if you want to see just what massive ships these are, uh, go to our uh, Twitter feed at Scott R4H. Uh, you can look me up there and follow along. Uh, we've posted a picture of uh, the uh, USS Gerald Ford, Gerald R. Ford, leaving for the Middle East. And it's a very impressive sight to see just what a huge uh, asset militarily this nuclear-powered aircraft carrier really is and how much firepower it can contain. Well, if you have one battle group, which includes a carrier and destroyers and supporting ships and so on, and now you're going to have a second battle group heading into the eastern Mediterranean, well, things are starting to heat up. And I think what the United States is saying to Iran is don't let any of your other proxies get involved with all of this or there's going to be H-E double hockey sticks to pay. Uh, it is just too uh, much of a political liability, I believe, for the current administration to see a massive devastating attack uh, beyond what's already happened on Israel take place. And so we're going to see the second carrier group go in there. I think Iran will take their gains, that is the wedge driven between Saudi Arabia and Israel, and any Israeli soldiers and infrastructure that go out as far as missile attacks and so on, uh, the fact that uh, people are terrorized by the lengths that uh, Muslim terrorists will go to, that is all to their good, that is all to their strategy. I think uh, one of the things, and Sean, you've mentioned this before, is that Muslims are experts at playing the long game. Uh, they are very patient uh, as far as, uh, well, maybe uh, taking uh, you know a few inches and then anything else they can get and then sort of letting things subside a bit before their next foray. I think that's probably what we're going to see. All right, so with all of that in mind, we want to make sure that our prayers are for the peace of Jerusalem and the lack thereof that's taking place right now. Make sure that we stay informed and are also 
well, we care enough about the truth to pursue it because it's going to require more and more effort from us. For those of you uh, listening along to us live, some comments that I uh, have a quieter mic. No, I'm actually just a quiet person. Sometimes I speak in parentheses. <laughs> so when we are back to our usual foray, we didn't want to adjust Dave Robson's settings to my little squeaker. We wanted to make sure that we uh, made this as simple as possible for all of you, which is why my father will be doing most of the talking. With that being said, I'm going to go out to your questions. Uh, got an interesting one from John who wants to know about First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, where he says, it seems to say that a strong love for others will negate our sins on its own. What am I not understanding? Thanks. Well, thank you, John, for not coming to the text presumptuously. It's not wrong to have a conclusion, but it is wrong when you don't test that conclusion and end up running with it when other passages would conflict with that interpretation. So let me read the passage. I'll start in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have fervent, passionate love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And then it goes on to give examples of what this looks like. Now, interestingly enough, that's a quote from the Old Testament. Yeah, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. And what's the full proverb? It says, hatred stirs up strife. Now, we're talking horizontal here, right? Right. We're not talking about a vertical relationship. We're talking about the horizontal relation. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. So in that proverb, we have a contrast, which is Hebrew poetry. You can assume that three times out of four. But in that contrast, it's comparing and contrasting what? The not topic of love and hatred, but the impact that love has, as opposed to the impact that hatred has. Right. Hatred, what? Stirs up strife. So it brings... In, 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 in other words, we it, it's the old uh, don't get mad, get even philosophy. The, what is the fatal flaw in that? Well, we say, I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to get even. We define getting even as balancing the books. But the person we get even with now has another uh, assault, another affront to deal with in which they say, I'm going to get even, and on it rolls. Yeah, and again, it's not to say there is necessarily anything wrong with seeking justice, but it's talking about relationships. If you have two options, the lesser to the greater is what? Stirring up more conflict or covering causes of it. And that's the point. What does God seek to do? That would be our imperative as Christians. So then, going back to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 and verse 8, what would be his intended point in this? That if we want our sins forgiven, then we need to love each other, or something a little bit more straightforward? Yeah, well, you know, again, we're dealing with the difference between issues of salvation and sanctification. We talk about this a lot and how it's really important not to get the cart before the horse on these issues. As far as salvation is concerned, nobody is ever going to make it to heaven by forgiving enough people in their lives. Why? Because nobody can forgive perfectly. Uh, sometimes the best that we can come up with as human beings is saying, well, I'll forgive it, but in the back of our mind we're like, but I won't forget it. And, and it's a really easy thing to have happen. Uh, you may have some insult, uh, someone who's treated you disrespectfully, uh, you know, someone that humiliated you, and it took place years ago. And you hadn't even thought about it for years. And then someone brings it up again. Someone says, oh, yeah, remember that happened? And then suddenly it's like, bam, it's just right back in front of your face again. 
Well, that's an example of someone that is stirring up strife. The idea of stirring up is a picture of stirring up embers. How many of you are campers out there? You know uh, exactly how it works. When the fire begins to die, how do you get it going again? You get a stick and you stir up the embers and it gets the flames going. It keeps the fire from going out. Hatred will do that. Uh, it will go back to those things. Oh, yeah, you remember when that person did that. But love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, interestingly, the word cover there is the same word that was used in, the, in Psalm 32, where it says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord forgives, whose transgression is forgiven by the, the Most High. Blessed is he to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. Well, that idea, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord forgives, whose transgression is covered by the Most High. Uh, that's that idea there. Uh, the idea is that when one would offer a sacrifice for sins, the sin would be covered. Well, the book of Hebrews makes a big deal about the fact that the Old Testament law could cover your sins, but only when the perfect sacrifice for sins, Jesus himself dying for us on the cross, uh, accomplished that final forgiveness were sins finally taken away. So love, in this sense, covers a multitude of sins. It's strictly a horizontal thing. It is the idea of maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as we are enjoined to do in the Scripture that's in view there. It's not the idea of what makes us right with God. And boy, um, isn't that a great thing? Uh, you know, there are some people who say, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. You know, I think I've kept the Ten Commandments. But uh, have you kept them in your heart, your soul, your mind? Chuck Smith always tells the story about how uh, just imagine if he'd kept the entire law and had never violated one term of it, but uh, driving down the freeway, a guy runs into him and he realizes he's going to die. And the last words he says are, you idiot. Well, according to Jesus, he's murdered the guy in his heart. So all those good deeds that we have done won't do you a single bit of good. So this is talking about maintaining the peace, if you will. You know, we want to love others. Why? Because God first loved us. We ask God to love through us, even in our imperfection, even in the fact that most of us, truth be told, you know, will have the old all forget it, forgive it, but not forget it mentality. Uh, it's not all gone. It will be gone someday. But what Peter is saying is love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, you know, again, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. The idea of fervent love is the idea of love that is literally burning. It means uh, literally something that burns hot. So just as hate stirs up the embers, what Peter is saying is, hey, make sure that love is doing a bigger job of stirring up the embers of love, God's love, the, the coming upon power of the Holy Spirit to love within your life. You're going to be just fine. And uh, just as another side note, the language there, I think, is kind of intentional for Old Testament grads. If they note covers, right. not cleanses, but right. covers, it's using the sacrificial system. Right, as we and, said, yeah. Yeah, and if you remember the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats cannot cover. It Well, it only provided a covering, but it cannot cleanse us from sin. It, it's ineffectual in that regard. So when we're talking about whether or not this is speaking of salvation, that's a big N.O., but if we're talking about what this looks like practically, he goes on to give examples of what this passionate love looks like in verse 9. Be hospitable to one another. Notice the attitude. Without grumbling. Same right. thing with the principle, right? Right. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another. 
serve each other with these gifts. Uh, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. That isn't saying get high on volcanic ash. It's saying speak as if you're speaking on behalf of God. If I'm going to talk, I hope that I can stamp his name on it and not be embarrassed. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter's point is just that. How does this reflect Jesus' character? Not how does this make sure or ensure I belong to him in the first place. That's already a given. Right. Peter's talking to in verse 1 of Peter's letter, the churches. Right. So if those are the ones that belong to Jesus, then you'll do just fine, John. Right. But uh, let us know if that helps you out, and thank you for the question. Um, got two questions here from Hannah, both great in light of the topic. Um, preface, she's a born-again Christian. Okay. I assume a woman as well. Yeah. But only certain of such since the last year and a half. How can we be sure we haven't missed the rapture and are not already in the tribulation period? Now, this is a view that a lot of people do take and have taken throughout history regarding the end times. It's called preterism. Um, it usually will take the time to redefine what the tribulation period is and so forth. They also but, dismiss the idea of a rapture. Yeah, and yeah. that yeah. dovetails in this as well. Obviously, we can have fun with it and say, well, I think if we missed the rapture within the last two years or so, we would have noticed in the checkbooks, but that's neither here nor there. What do we know from Scripture has to take place, not just during the tribulation, but shows us we're not yet in the tribulation? Yeah, and you know, Hannah, it's a great question, because it was a question, believe it or not, that's thoroughly biblical. Uh, you know, when the Apostle Paul planted the church at Thessalonica in the area of Greece we know today, uh, he spent about three weeks there with them. But apparently, when you read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thess Thessalonians, he spent a lot of time telling them about prophecy, about the uh, promises and the things to look for regarding the return of Jesus Christ. So uh, definitely, uh, prophecy and the hope that Jesus could come at any time wasn't a secondhand deal uh, or a side issue to the Apostle Paul. However, having done that, there were already questions that were coming up regarding uh, the last days and the end times. Uh, one of them really dovetails nicely with the question that you're asking here, so I, I commend you for asking a, a solidly biblical question. It's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, yeah, our, the idea of the rapture here is in view, uh, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come until the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember then where I'm still with you? I told you these things. And Paul's saying, remember, we gave you that crash course on biblical prophecy here. Remember what I told you. He says, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
Now, notice what this is telling us here, Hannah. He's answering this question like, well, you know, gosh, maybe uh, we're already in the tribulation. Uh, it's really interesting. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Paul had to deal with this idea that somehow people that didn't uh, stay alive till the rapture were going to somehow not be a part of God's kingdom. And Paul had to reassure them that, no, uh, they're going to have a part of that as well. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 4 is all about. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we are told that we can know that we're not in the tribulation yet. Why? Because the falling away comes first, and then the lawless man will be revealed. Well, the idea of a falling away being referred to here refers to a massive spiritual collapse that is going to take place. Some have tried to liken this to being uh, a declaration as uh, the, the rapture, but the term falling away here tended to refer to an organized military rebellion in the original language. Apostolos. Yeah, so uh, that's why uh, we take the point of view that uh, the church and the teaching of God's truth aren't going to get better and better as the time of the end draws near. It's probably, you know, apostasy, false teachers are going to wax worse and worse and so on. And uh, many are going to be deceived by these uh, false teachers who didn't receive the love of the truth in order to be saved. So, you know, we're going to see is a complete collapse, if you will, of the church. And while you take a look at uh, the letters to the seven churches in uh, the book of Revelation, uh, it's really interesting how these seven churches were selected. And I think there's prophetic implications in all of this. Uh, the last church mentioned is the church at Laodicea. And it's not the triumphant church. It's not the church at Philadelphia where God says, I've put before you an open door. No one's going to close it. You have a little strength, kept my word, not denied my name. Instead, these are the people that are neither cold nor hot. And Jesus said, because you're neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He said, I'm wealthy and become rich and lack nothing. He says, you don't know you're poor, miserable, blind, wretched, naked. Uh, you know, in other words, this was a church that was so self-sufficient that at the end of it, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Uh, what Jesus is referring to there is the idea that uh, a church is only going to be as strong as spirit indwelt, Christ indwelt individuals that make it up. So, you know, the church isn't going to do well at the end of this. There's going to be that falling away. And then once the rapture takes place, then and only then the Antichrist can reveal himself. The, uh, the one who restrains is going to uh, continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. Well, we believe that this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church because Jesus made a couple of very interesting statements about uh, what his kingdom was going to be like in this world. He said, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Light is something that keeps darkness at bay. Salt was an important preservative during that time, keeping things from rotting out. As long as we are here in this world, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, making us salt and light in this world, will prevent the Antichrist as such from revealing himself as such. It is only when we are taken out of the way at the time of the rapture that the Antichrist can do this. So for these reasons, we can pretty well know that we're not in the great tribulation period. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but fear not, for I've overcome the world. doesn't say this world's going to be easy. doesn't say it's going to be persecution-free. vast majority of Christians in this world understand what persecution's all about. 
on a daily basis. But remember something, the uh, last seven years, the tribulation period, is described in Revelation chapter 6 as a time of God's wrath poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. People say, oh, but the Antichrist and being persecuted and dying for your faith. Believe me, compared to the wrath of God, the Antichrist is going to be nothing in comparison. Uh, and uh, the Bible makes it very plain in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we look forward to Jesus coming for us at the rapture instead of being afraid that we're in the last days. Yeah, so what has to be true? Well, there's certain hints and signs that were given along the way, and Hannah, I encourage you on Wednesday, that would have been at the time of this recording on October 11th, 2023. We went into some detail regarding the things that you can't expect leading up to the tribulation, right. including what we've been talking about today, yeah. thus the concern likely of where your question came from, but the end is not yet. Right. That's directly from the chapter. Right. So if we have these things in mind, we don't get so soon shaken, quoting Paul, <laughs> yeah. by these things, then I think we'll keep a level head. But in the meantime, there's another follow-up question that I think is right on point as well, because in light of the great apostasy, the departure from the heart of God, um, there's another phenomena going on that I think you're bringing up quite aptly. It says, how do we retort, I like that word, when some Christians claim that Jesus commands we not support Israel or the United States doing anything that would cause any Palestinian civilian collateral damage, that's a mouthful, because Jesus loves them and commands we, quote, live, not live by the sword, unquote. So the idea of government action, military intervention, always being wrong, that right. the use of violence to even forcibly restrain evil is never justified, never permitted, not biblical. Jesus commands that we abandon Israel to the Palestinian onslaught. Now, with that being caricatured as uh, aptly as I can, so you know my position, um, first of all, let's take this from two angles. Regarding government, I think, does the Bible affirm that the Israeli or the United States government have the right to exercise physical violence in a legitimate way? And then building on that, would this be a just cause biblically, even if they are literally hiding behind civilians and, as they always have, setting up their rocket depots and so forth inside of schools and hospitals? And uh, I'll just make this note, by the way. You can look this up. Um, Hamas has told their citizens that when Israel contacts you and tells you to get out of these buildings because we're going to bomb it, that only includes in the terrorists by the way, to get out of the building. But Hamas tells their people, and we've talked about this this week, to stay in the building and die as martyrs, and they'll be guaranteed paradise. So when Israel is accused of civilian casualties, it's the slimiest and most immature form of propaganda mechanisms where they're treating the Palestinian civilians like tools. But a very effective one because the Western press seems to fall for it every time. Well, but, they share the heart of Satan, but that's another but, topic. Yeah, but getting to the essence of this, okay, is it right for Israel to respond this way? Well, Romans chapter 13 tells us uh, how God has instituted uh, the, the blessing of human government 
that human government is God's idea, not necessarily man's idea. And we're told some things about this in Romans 13. It says, let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So what Paul is saying in this, uh, this set of circumstances is that God has set up evil or government for two important functions, to restrain evil and to reward the good. But also government is intended to visit God's wrath on those who commit evil. Now, this doesn't just happen in the micro, you know, say criminals uh, individually in a society. It also happens in the macro when a particular government sets aside the God-given authority they have and begins to use their authority and their power to commit acts of evil. Then other countries, particularly those who are the victims of this evil, have a biblical responsibility to stand up and resist it. That's why God instituted government in the first place. And so when we talk about, uh, does Israel have a right to respond here? Well, we take a look at how Israel has conducted themselves in times past to incredible provocations that have happened from the various terror groups that surround them. Uh, And their response has always been very measured, very proportionate, especially in light of the, the horrible to whom it may concern attacking of civilians that uh, Muslim terrorists in the region have practiced down through time. But this one was on such a level of barbarism and was such a massive wide scale that to leave this unanswered really kind of sets us up to another principle you can take to the bank. Uh, Behavior rewarded is behavior repeated. Uh, Israel simply cannot afford the idea of saying, well, uh, we'll saber rattle a little bit, but we're not going to take out your terrorist infrastructure. We'll launch a few missiles and blow up some buildings, but there you go. No, this uh, awful, awful attack, and we talked about the proportionality of all of this, that it is more on the level of the Holocaust than it is uh, a 9-11 terrorist attack. This is the kind of thing where Israel is not only well within their rights, but really within biblically uh, designated responsibilities to protect their citizens. Uh, And sometimes they have to do it, as we see here, by the sword. Uh, Evil will not go sometimes without a fight. And if, uh, you know, you've seen uh, the history of World War II and so on, Nazi Germany did not go without uh, a fight. There was blood that had to be shed and there were innocents that had to get caught up as collateral damage. But I don't think anybody here would say that we should have just tried to find an accommodation with Hitler under those circumstances. And worse, Hamas. Now, when we're then asked the question, and this is equally as important, and we'll finish off the broadcast with this very briefly, if then this is putting innocent lives in danger, or dare I say, even if a government acts maliciously, 
because there is the potential for that. A system that involves men also includes fallen sinful men, and so even acting on behalf of God, they can unjustly wield that power. What then? Does that mean that you throw the system out? No. Within the system, and this is key, Hannah, they will be held accountable. So the same way, and this is an important consolation for people who are wondering, well, if the truth is so vague and unknowable and even unreachable at times, and all these lies are being promoted and people fall for it and all these other things, God's people are left on their own, God's people are left with a short stick, how does this ultimately matter? How do we find the right thing done in a world that's gone wrong? And the answer is, in this world, we won't morbid but it's honest and if we then leave the judge of all the earth to do what is right we take off of ourselves not just the burden but the grief of being able to say if these people are going to misuse their power to either restrain truth and promote a lie as opposed to promote truth and restrain lies they will answer to God for that but the second that we fall into the trap of saying, no, this has to be done, then you're taking it into your own hand, your own power, your own strength, to do something that God hasn't called you to do. And in the same way that we would be sinning if we went beyond what God's called us to do, to hold people accountable for these things, it would be the same mistake that the people in those positions of power are in misusing theirs that was given to them by God. Let them answer to God for how they've abused their power. You be a witness of his heart. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, Boy, the broadcast is going by faster than we anticipated. But we'll be looking forward to engaging all of you next time. Dave Robson will be back come Monday or Tuesday for those of you listening on Reach Radio. In the meantime, this has been uh, Sean Richards and Scott Richards on A Reason for Hope. God God bless you. you. See you all next time. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.